KYW Original Podcasts. I'm Charlotte Reese. Crowds of people have showed up in cities and towns in every state to protest the killing of George Floyd by a police officer. Sadly, the George Floyd protests are not the first demonstrations in response to the killing of an unarmed African-American in police custody. They're at the front of a long line of fights for justice and equality in history. Dr. Michael Hanchard studies social movements through history. He's the department chair of Africana Studies at the University of Pennsylvania. And he says change has happened before when people organize to achieve a goal and it can happen again. Just to start off, can you introduce yourself and uh, tell me what you do? Uh, yes, my name is Michael G. Hanchard. I'm uh, Gustav C. Kumarelli Professor and Chair of the Africana Studies Department at the University of Pennsylvania. So I've been uh, reading the protests against the killing of George Floyd has happened in all 50 states and a dozen other countries over the past couple days. It, it right. seems enormous. Mm-hmm. Is it, have there been other movements with similar reach, like the ones that have happened in the past couple days? Yeah, I mean, there have been, if you go you know, into different uh, periods of history, but also different countries, um, there have been riots that are general, rebellions generally generated by uh, a particular act. It could be a law, it could be, in this case, uh, a, a murder, or what I'm calling extrajudicial killing. Um, so there are a range of reasons that ignite. But usually, these are cases where there are long-standing issues between a particular population or a couple of minoritized populations and the state. And in this case, it would be the police, the police, the force of arm in the state. If you think about, for example, protests against wars, right? Mm-hmm. So you think about mm-hmm. protests against the Vietnam War and U.S. involvement, um, involved demonstrations in places like Germany, Japan, a variety of different countries with a variety of different actors. But I think what is uh, might be distinct about the, this particular set of protests and rebellion is that uh, it's, it's clear that there are uh, a number of youths, a good percentage of the protesters are young people, who in many ways are more integrated than generations of the past. And so the amount of or the percentage of white protesters along with black protesters is in many ways a new a fairly new phenomenon. And the fact that you can use all of these technologies now also to link up to people and actually talk and coordinate movements from one area of the country to the other. And then, of course, there are also what some journalists refer to as, uh, as copycat protests. I would rather think about it as network protests so that people in one part of the country or the world are inspired or angered or motivated to action by a set of circumstances that resonate in their own experience or in the experience of people they know or are close to. Right. And this isn't the first time that an unarmed African-American has been killed by police. You know, it it has happened over and over again. And there's been large protests because of Michael Brown, Eric Gardner. And um, but this feels different right now. Um, And you mentioned a little bit why. But do you have any thoughts about why now? Why? Why does it feel different? 
Well, I mean, there's a couple of possibilities. I mean, one could be the factor of the of the COVID COVID nineteen. People have been, uh, at least those who have been uh, abiding by the protocols, uh, have been inside um, for upwards of several months. I think you've got, um, with the Trump administration, a president who has, in many ways, helped incite protests and a backlash against protesters in different parts of the, the country. His calls to, in some sense, further militarize the encounters between populations and the, and, and the armed forces. I think all of those things point to, in some ways, the activities from uh, other governments and other times and other eras. Right. So, for example, in the 1970s in Brazil, where this was the height of the military dictatorship that began in 1964 and ended in 1985, in 1978, a cab driver was killed by the police. And this ignited, and this certainly wasn't the first time that extrajudicial killings by the police against Brazilian people and disproportionately impacted were Afro-descendant populations. But this led to a rallying cry for the need for a social movement, a broad-based social movement, that would make sets of demands. And again, these were demands were also during a period of authoritarian rule. So they were technically allowed to engage in uh, in public assembly. They did anyway. And this led, helped lead to an organization called the Unified Black Movement in Brazil in 1978, and it still exists. And that's in part because the conditions that existed in 1978, before 1978, and after 1978 still continue in Brazil. Mm. These protests this past week, they're calling for an end to police brutality and racial injustice. Um, But these are not issues that a single person or elected leader can fix. These are problems. These problems are systemic. And your research has really delved into that. And realistically, Mm -hmm. I mean, what kind of meaningful change has a chance of actually happening in America because of the protests this week? Well, I think that some of the um, the in- intense scrutiny placed upon uh, the Minneapolis uh, Police Department has led to certainly greater attention about police procedures and violation of those procedures. And we've seen instances in, uh, in D.C., uh, for example, in Atlanta, for example, of aggressive policing that's led to very violent altercations. And usually the violence has been generated by police officers, right? And I think this will bring a lot greater scrutiny to the kinds of activities that the uh, police can engage in. Mm -hmm. You've talked about a few protests from the past, but has this week rang any, uh, you know, familiarity to other American protests and... um, do these movements that have happened this week have similarities to other movements in the past? Okay, so obviously, you know, the obvious comparison would be the Black Freedom Struggle, certainly, that became a movement of national uh, significance. So, and that actually was also, I mean, aided and abetted during the age of, of mass media. And so images uh, that came out of... Uh, 
police water hosing human beings, treating and then setting dogs on those same peaceful protesters, sent a message or generated a message around the world. And it became not just a domestic problem, but a foreign relations problem. Because with the United States showed that they did not have the moral authority, the U.S. government that, that it claimed to, and particularly in preaching democracy and uh, seeking to export democracy in different parts of the world, when at home, they did not practice it. Right? So I think we think about Trump's desire to uh, invoke the Insurrection Act, even against the advice of um, one of his former advisors. And it's actually not the first time, but it would be it was referred to the first time in many cases. But again, we've got a situation where the U.S. government is considering using military force upon its own citizens, on its own uh, soil. Right? That's a pretty stark precedent in many ways. And if we think of whether we're thinking about Nazi Germany, uh, whether we're thinking about the rise of authoritarianism in, in Chile, in Argentina, and of course uh, Brazil, these are all examples of what can happen in some sense as governments begin to perceive their citizen populations, particularly those engaged in the right to assembly and peaceful protest, as the enemy or the enemy within. Right. And peaceful protests are a special and protected act in the United States, right? The, right. the First Amendment and overall grand scale. I mean, you've touched on it, but how would you rate the government's response or intervention to the movement that has happened this past week? Well, I mean, to, from my perspective, it's been disastrous. I mean, I think that the fact that, that at one point Trump uh, hid in his uh, bunker in a secret place in the White House, rather than being out on the street or at least broadcasting efforts to calm people down, to give some inkling of attempt at unity, these are things that I think were big missteps in the, in the Trump administration. And they're very concerned with law and order, but the question is what kind of law and what kind of order? Right. Does that mean continued black subordination? Does it mean continuing to use force against peaceful protesters? Right. And so in this respect, I think the U.S. is really getting dangerous close now to representing what I call um, authoritarian situations. There's a constitution, there's laws, but also there's norms that supposedly exceptional to democratic political cultures. And right now we're seeing the sort of face of the state in a very aggressive manner towards its citizens. What people are looking for, I think, right now is obviously change. And I think it's easy for a lot of people to be cynical about the odds of change actually happening, right? Especially mm -hmm. for people who don't have any real political or economic power, right? You said it's a lot right. of young people out there. Um, if you right. can go back through history a little bit to some of, you know, the more famous, impactful social movements, which ones can you think of that actually inspired real change? And what did it take to do so? Well, certainly the women's movement, if you're referring to the United States, certainly that mentioned before the black freedom struggle, you know, without that public pressure on uh, first John Kennedy and then later uh, Lyndon B. Johnson it was clear that many different projects that are now either been dismantled or seriously disabled um, were the results 
of those coordinated efforts. I think similarly in the case of Minneapolis, you know, the upgrading of charges against the four officers clearly would not have happened without the public pressure. And in some sense, what many of the activists are actually asking for, and this is a difficult ask for most police departments in the country, is transparency, right? They want to know when, how, and why people died. And it shouldn't be the case that in the course of routine traffic stops that unarmed motorists should be tased, should be shot, not presenting any threat to the police force. And I think, you know, there are a number of different videos been sent, circulated around that have gone viral that show precise, so precisely this. What do you think will result uh, from these protests? I mean, we've heard the New Jersey attorney general say that they're going to start looking at police reforms that they have had on the table for some time now. What do you think will actually happen from these protests or what do you hope will come of this? Well, as a citizen, my hope it would be effective uh, change, you know, some coordination at the national level of how these departments function, the amount of training needed to become a police officer, in some instances, it's, it's 14 weeks. In some places, it's 28 weeks. Mm-hmm. And it's clear that there needs to be a lot more human sensitivity training, right? Because these police officers, and obviously, clearly, police officers have a very, very difficult job, even under the best of circumstances in moments of calm. But it's also clear that, uh, several, that, that there's a percentage of police officers in precincts across the country who the idea or the symbol of a black person in front of them triggers them to engage in acts that basically violate their own norms and procedures on how to interact with a citizen or how to arrest a citizen and under what circumstances someone should be arrested. I mean, many experts on the study of police police uh, departments and police reform have talked about this need for officers to learn how to de-escalate situations rather than escalate situations. Right. This could lead to changes in federal law and local law. All right. Thank you so much for your time today. Is there anything else you want to add or that you think I may have missed looking at, you know, social movements, this one comparing to other ones? Yeah, I, I think one uh, last point I would make is that um, very often in the media, not in this case, fortunately, but in, I read and uh, see in the various media platforms the idea of these protests as as race riots, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that actually takes away from the complexity and nuance of the nature of these kinds of protests. People, in addition to being angry about George Floyd, many of these people have been unemployed for several months. Many people, particularly youth, are not sure what the future is going to hold for them. You've got uh, the virus itself. And, you know, the fact that people want change and they're tired of having the uh, older generation actually making promises that are not followed up, uh, not uh, not kept. And so in this discussion about what's the proper way to protest, if you look at a range of different uh, organizations, think about even an organization like ACT UP that developed in response to the AIDS epidemic. And uh, many act up activists who use a lot of the tactics from the U.S. civil rights movement uh, would declare, we tried being polite, but being polite didn't work. 
Um, so they had to, they developed just strategies to disrupt meetings, to disrupt basic conversations by uh, governmental officials. And these are all things to draw attention to uh, their cause and their claim, right? And we can see, think about the civil rights movement as being a model in many ways for a range of different movements across the world, certainly in France, uh, certainly uh, in Britain, to some extent, not the same extent, in Brazil. Uh, so um, there have been, in the past several years, protests decline the murder of Eric Garner, right? So these things are operating not just in a local context, but in a much larger context. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Charlotte Reese, and we'll have another episode out soon.